I'm Jan Greguš and you are listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast, coming to you today from Minnesota United's new home, Allianz Field, which is pretty cool. We're here in the broadcast booth. I'm your host, Steve McPherson, and here with me, of course, is Callum Williams, who has just returned from his new home, the Minnesota DMV. <laughs> Callum, how much do you love paperwork? Uh, just kill me now. <laughs> it's, yeah, just unbelievable, isn't it? You know, it is... Quite frankly, the most putrid place on earth. Yes. Um, and I've had to go there a couple of times now for various different uh, immigration paperwork, bits and bobs. And um, hey, you know, it, it is what it is. I understand these uh, uh, hurdles that we have to jump. But um, yeah, the terrible timing as well with, with what has frankly been utter carnage uh, over the last couple of days. And it will be moving forward as yes. well now with, uh, with the game at Red Bull Arena, with all the stuff we're going to be doing with MLS. And now, as you mentioned, uh, the, the opening of this beautiful building as well. So it's, uh, hey, it is what it is, though, Steve. It's life. Yes. We just got to deal with the things that, that it throws <laughs> at us, right? Uh, let's talk a little bit about Allianz Field. We are here in the place where you're going to be calling games mm. um, the in the broadcast booth. What... Uh, What's your feel? I mean, we've talked about the about the stadium overall before, but this is where you're going to be doing your job. How does that feel? Right now, I, I can't imagine a place that is more spectacular than our broadcasting booth. Um, I will have a fist fight with anybody who disagrees. Um, it's... It's absolutely spectacular. We're the view on the, is terrific. I'm the, sitting here just going, this is... <laughs> the view... <laughs> this the is view the way is, to watch soccer. I, I, I remember saying to... Bill Maguire, when he first showed us these broadcasting booths uh, back in October. We had a little tour back then. And obviously the stadium was somewhat of a shell compared to what it is now. And I remember that. There's, there's wood. The, the steps up were just yep. temporary steps. It was all, there was sawdust and concrete dust all over the place. But yes, we could come see where where you were going to stand. Yeah, it was, it was a construction site, obviously. And it, it was very hard to visualize what, what the booth would actually look like. But as soon as I stood in the booth and I looked out as to what I would be seeing during the, the commentary, I said to Bill, I said, Bill, you don't get this in Barcelona. You don't get this at many stadiums around the world. And, and the the view here, I would argue I've got the best one in the stadium. And I think you're probably right. And, and, and there's not a bad view in the stadium as well, by the way, because I've been to just about all four corners now. And, and yeah walked around and, and had a look at, and sat in various different positions, and there's not a bad view that I've seen yet. Um, but just, it, it absolutely, this booth, and with it being on the stadium club level as well, it just absolutely oozes luxury. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've ever been surrounding by, I don't think I've ever been surrounded by such pristine confines when it comes to a football commentary, Steve, ever. Yeah, and uh, the thing about the, the views from the different parts of the stadium, I had a friend who got in touch with me the other day uh, asking about, he wants to bring a group of people and, you know... Uh, Good so, luck getting a ticket. I know, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see what I can do for him. Like, I, you know, I checked to see, like, how, how you know, different games were going so far, what was going to be the best shot at, at getting, you know, a larger group of people here because it's going to be tight. But um, but he's like, you know, what, you know, what's the inside track on the good seats? And I was like, I don't know what you mean. 
Like <laughs> literally everywhere I've gone, I've gone to the top of the far side here, the east side, which is the, t- the you know, that's sort of like the equivalent of the nosebleeds. It's still amazing. Yeah. Like everywhere is amazing. Um, the only problem I was sitting essentially this, you know, so the first train was going on here today. I was sitting pitch side essentially. My only complaint is that it's too low. You know, I don't even get to see, you know, it's like there's sometimes you want to be a little bit, a little bit back in order to catch a little more of what's going on. It's lovely to look out here. The field is used now. You can see, you know, they, they have these nice lines and, mm-hmm. but then you can see all the people, you can see all the footprints of people running around and it's, I don't quite know how to quantify yet, but this feeling of this slow march towards, you know, humanity coming into this place is kind of, has been kind of fun, you know, from, from it being a hole in the ground and rocks and dirt and mud, uh, to being covered in snow, to being under construction, to us getting to see it empty, to seeing people here for the season ticket member event, to seeing the players out there on the, on the pitch. It's just, each one is this beautiful little movement toward that moment when it's, everybody is here, uh, in, in, you know, just a week and a half now at this point. So, yeah. which is, uh, it's just mind boggling. Well, it's crazy to think about, isn't it? We've, we've sort of all gone on this journey where we've seen this stadium, as you mentioned, be literally a hole in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> so what it is now. And, um, as, as I've said several times, uh, to me, it, it's the finest soccer specific stadium in North America. Um, and, and, and I've said this before, and I've no problem saying it again, but what I hope happens now is people, uh, whether they are expansion teams or uh, teams looking for a new stadium or whatever, looking to, to relocate, come here, and they they try and better this because that that's that's another way the, the league is going to grow. Yeah. But going back to the viewing point, Steve, I think I would actually prefer to be right at the top, as you mentioned, because the, the vantage point there... You, you will be able to see absolutely everything. It'll be stunning. Mm-hmm. But I think if you are as close as we were today, sitting literally pitch sides, and those seats, uh, in my opinion, they, they are going to give you an experience unlike any other because you're going to be literally right next to the players. You, you, you're going to be... You're going to get hurt. You're going to have yeah, to catch you, you, balls. Yeah, There's, you will. You've got to pay attention. Tough. Yeah. And you, I think what a lot of people are going to see for the, for the first time as well is because they'll be in such close proximity, they'll see the, the sharpness and, and how quick everything is on the field, you know, and, yeah. um, and, and they'll be the first people to, to react to, you know, if a challenge is late or whatever, you know, we'll know if it's a foul because we'll look at the people who are right next to the, the incident that's happened. If it is a foul, they'll be up in arms and everything. If yeah. it's not, they won't say anything. Yeah. So, um, yeah. no, it's... Uh, it, it's absolutely wonderful. It really, really is. And uh, April thirteenth can't can't get here quick enough. I know. Words. I know. It, it feels it feels simultaneously really close and like as far away as it's ever been. Basically. So um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the week that was and the week that's going to be. And uh, you know we're going to get into some stuff. Obviously yep. after after two uh, wins, the you know teams now had two losses in a row on the road. Um, but I wanted to begin stipulating a couple things. The season has its ups and downs. <laughs> you know it's and this. This is for four road games, which are notoriously difficult in MLS. Right now, Minnesota United is averaging one and a half points per game, which would mean 51 points on the season. 
That would put them about where most people, I think, thought they would be going into the postseason, holding down a six or seven seed. Uh, that, if you look at last year, that that would have been good for the sixth seed. Um, you know, that's okay. Uh, I also thought I wanted to call out. There's a, there was a good post on E Pluribus Lunum earlier this week by Colin O'Donnell, uh, pointing out s- some of that stuff, and then also that uh, you know the game against New England. New England is a bit of an outlier in MLS overall with its its game plan in a way that was also very well suited to to disrupt what Minnesota wants to do because Minnesota wants to hold possession. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and play from that. Min- uh, New England, this is a quote from Colin O'Donnell. New England is one of the few teams that makes significant pressure at the start of attack. It's tactical identity. Minnesota attempted two tackles in their attacking half. New England did that 19 times. That's a lot of, that's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure. Um, and this is also the Red Bulls have been known to play in this way. So we're going to yeah. hit, hit, hit the buzzsaw again here. But um, first of all, your thoughts on that specific what Minnesota had to deal with against the revolution and then what they're going to have to do to adjust to deal with in some ways, a similar kind of game plan from the red bulls. So there were two obvious frustrations for me against the revolution, which which simply weren't good enough. Number one was the performance of Francisco Calvo. I thought Calvo uh, looked like a deer in headlights um, for a big portion of the game. Um, and, And he knows it's not good enough. And it won't work if, if we're going to move forward. It, it won't work. The other area for me was was again in the center of midfields, where if you go back and watch the tape, that first goal comes from the individual Carlos Hill, who we pointed out in the pregame show, we might have pointed out on this podcast as well. He was given a slightly new role. I was very fortunate myself and Kendra D. St. Auburn, we, we had a, a bite to it with the head coach of the Revolution, Brad Friedel, on the Friday night. And... He, um, he insinuated he was going to make a lot of changes, but um, my word, he, he, I don't think we expected him to, to do exactly what he did. But right. dropping Carlos Hill, who essentially had the freedom of Gillette Stadium, um, really changed everything because um, there were times, if you, if you go back to the first goal, there were times where he had so much space in the center of midfield, and I wanted to scream, is anybody going to press? Is anybody going to put any sort of pressure on this individual? First goal, if you remember it, little lob over the top. Yep. And obviously, Anibaba then... What a pass, also. I mean, watching, watching Hill hit those passes. Like, it's gorgeous, but, but this is the thing, though, Steve. He did it way too many times, and yeah. there wasn't enough yeah. pressure. And, yes. And I, and I said uh, afterwards, I remember saying, if I am Ozzy Alonso or Grange, uh, Jan Gregish, I am letting Carlos Hill know that I'm there. Now, whether that's give him a little clip of the ankle, maybe push him from behind or whatever, and I'm letting him know that every time you're on the ball, I'm going to be right behind you, and I'm going to make your life a living hell. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I don't think we were nasty enough. I think we gave Carlos Hill way too much time in possession, and then also it didn't help because Darwin Quintero's positioning I thought wasn't great as well. And there were times where he was he was far too high, and again, so Carlos Hill was able to just drop into that area where Darwin would positionally be. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it, it, it gave them so many opportunities um, and if you look back at the, the second goal as well it's Hill's pass who, who uh, unleashes Bunbury to, to play it across for Bayer to score and just little things like this where it's individual mishaps errors to be honest efforts in one or two players parts as well it's not good enough mm-hmm. and Adrian Heath knows it but what I will say it is early we're two and two sure it's okay yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It's okay. Like we've, we've lost the revolution, and and I think and now that the revolution have got themselves figured out, mm-hmm. I think it may take a game or two more for them to really figure themselves out, but they've now identified at least a positive way to play. Yeah. 
I think a lot of teams will go to the Revolution and, and, and not win there this year. But look, I mean, it, it's early in the season. We're two and two. And um, I think, as, as has been insinuated on, on several outlets over the last couple of days, if you'd have offered that at the start of the season, I think we'd have probably taken it. Yeah. Yeah, and I've said before, this was my, my feeling coming in with the with these five games, is that you had three three games you should win, two games that you, should, you would expect to either lose or, or it would be a toss-up, those being the Galaxy and the Red Bulls, and then the games you should win, the, the two that we've, we've won, and then this one against the Revs. My thought was that, you, the team would probably win two of the ones they're supposed to win and then lose one of the ones they're supposed to win mm. and then lose one of the ones they're supposed to lose and win one of the ones they're supposed to lose. You know, so sort of, because this is the way MLS is, right? You know, this this has come up before when mm. I think in that, that first weekend when um, Atlanta was playing FC Cincinnati and it was like, okay, you know, expansion team, reigning champs, so this is going to be a 4-1 win for, this, for <laughs> Cincinnati because it's MLS, which it wasn't quite, but, you know, you know what I'm saying. That it, it, this, is, this is the way this league seems to be. Everything gets upended. So, yes. um, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, – First, okay. The first thing I wanted to talk about, you brought up the the mid, you brought up Carlos Hill particularly within the midfield. We've talked also about uh, the issue with having facing three midfielders with mm-hmm. with two midfielders. Um, that was obviously a problem. Again, um, how do you rectify that problem with two midfielders positionally? Are you do you look at maybe not changing the formation, but changing the way different elements of the team drop back or how they how they change their shape in defense or something like that? Like, what do what do you think? I think. Um, just positionally, the two central midfielders have got to be better, Steve. Um, honestly, and I'm a big fan of Ozzy Alonso. When we signed him, I couldn't have praised him any higher. He's obviously been at the very top of this league for a reason for the last 10 years. Uh, Jan Gregus, um, you know, I think right now, I think even he will admit that it, it's taken a little bit of time to, to get used to the pace of Major League Soccer. Uh, and that's fine. Everyone needs a settling in period. Um, but I, I think more than anything, Steve, it, it depends as well. I mean... Now we're seeing people bring in the fullbacks into central midfields. Adrian won't do that. I'll be surprised if he ever does with his system. Sometimes people allow the number 10 to drop a little deeper and, and you essentially go back into a, a 4-3-3. Sure. Sometimes people tuck in the wide players and go to a really flat 4-4-2 or a tighter 4-4-2. Um, some people convert it to a diamond and... and you know, there's there's so many ways that you can do it, but um, I'll, I'll be honest, I'll be I'll be surprised if there's any sort of change from from that particular point of view. But right. um, look, we'll, we'll wait and see. But it, it's obviously an issue right now for Minnesota United. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, do you foresee some of those same problems against Red Bulls? I mean, they've gotten Kaku in the lineup now. Um, he's obviously a very da- he's a huge danger in that in that midfield. Yep. Um, what about Kaku returning, and, and what do you think that does that does for them? Well, I, th- I think Kaku will, will be will be man marked, um, or at least zonally marked by the likes of Alonso. You know, I I don't obviously Kaku will cause Minnesota United problems. There's no doubt about it. There's a reason Club America wanted to pay ten million dollars for him in the off season. You know, he's he's a first class player. Um, but it, it's the other area just behind him where again I think could could again be the issue. Sean Davis and uh, Shotkovsky have been the two that have, that they, at least they played against Chicago Fire. Um, and if the Red Bulls control possession like they often do, particularly at home, again, it could be an issue for Minnesota United, and it may very well be a case of we've got to counter and break away, um, and that's the best way to score a goal, you know? So um, 
We'll, we'll wait and see. I, I, I'm not because obviously the Red Bulls they lost at home Chicago Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm not convinced that it'll be the same eleven for the Red Bulls. I think sure. they'll have they'll have some other um, other players out there for sure. Whether that is in the central midfield, I don't know. Um, I'm a fan of Sean Davis. I like him a lot. Maybe Derek Etienne comes in, the young Haitian midfielder who I, I really really like. Shotkovsky uh, is a good player. Signed permanently. Now from um, Ebi uh, Salzburg, who uh, I thought he was okay. I thought he was okay for the for the Red Bulls last season, but now we signed permanently. I I don't know. You know, it was originally I, I was told it was Jesse Marsh's signing. I don't know if it works well with Chris Armas and whatnot. Sure. You know, so we'll yeah. wait and see, Steve. I mean, th- there's a, a myriad of question marks heading into this game right now. But yeah. personally, I think one of the better ways that Minnesota can get at the Red Bulls is from the wide positions again, because. Looking back at the tape, the Red Bulls are, are very similar to how they were under Jesse Marsh uh, in terms of a, an attacking transition uh, point of view. The fullbacks do go high. Murillo and Lawrence, I'm assuming, will start again. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't surprise me if the Barrett and Finley had a lot of the ball at Red Bull Arena. Yeah, yeah. The uh, I was reading Bobby Warshaw had an article talking about you know the, the some of the difficulties that Red Bulls have faced and um, looking at sort of the traditional Red Bulls plan that is that has had them. The tremendous success uh, in the regular season uh, the last several years, which is, you know, to, to, to press the opponent when they have the ball, generate turnovers, win your 50-50s, and then get out in transition uh, and, and attack like that. But that it seems like they want to sort of add – get the ball back and then actually have some possession uh, and play with a little bit more uh, possession, um, which is not a problem. That's like, that's a fine way to play, but he brings up the, something I thought was sort of interesting, which is the idea that if you're, if you're a pressing team, you know, you're sort of always exerting energy in that way. If you're a possessing team, it's a different kind of energy mm. and that trying to do both sometimes it, can present a challenge as the team adjusts to it because you're sort of throttling up and throttling down uh, throughout the game. And sometimes that maybe that's, maybe that's an element of what uh, rebels have struggled with in, in terms of sort of changing their identity, which is not necessarily a problem. And again, we've seen that they've, there's been a limit to what their, their style has done in the postseason in some situations. So. Yeah, I, I think it's a good point, but I, I would counter argue that I think the Red Bulls they press uh, appropriately that they're not one of these teams that, you know, they fly forward when they're pushing forward, but, uh, you know, from looking at, at the game against Chicago Fire, the central midfielders didn't. They hardly pressed when, when they were in possession at all, but they pressed when they were out of possession because they were covering the grounds mm-hmm. um, in terms of pushing forward. But um, that's an interesting point. I I think, again... I mean, Bobby could be completely wrong. I have no problem saying that. No, no, I, I, I think it's an interesting point. I mean, it, uh, this, and this is why I think it's important to, you know, look at look at the game from different angles and different perspectives from time to time. Um, but that's an interesting point. I, I do wonder... I do wonder now if, if, if the coaching staff have, have had a look at that and thought about this, this press in midfield. As I, as I said, Steve, if... If Minnesota United can can keep hold of possession, which they've they've gotten much better at this season, then keep hold of possession and frustrate the Red Bulls. I think that there will be several Red Bulls midfielders that will be drawn out of position mm-hmm. and maybe work their way through there. But as I said, I think for me the the best way to get out the Red Bulls is through the wide positions. Sure. Um, now, if the Red Bulls are having their central midfielders press, um, as I said, hopefully in the end that would mean that they will be slightly out of position. Hopefully Darwin remains disciplined. 
Darwin then would, would be able to find the runs of, of Ibarra and Finlay, assuming they start. So um, it's an interesting point, but we'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've just sort of always, and I, you know, I, I think exactly how this impacts the, a team's ability to, to win individual games, to win the supporter shield, to win a championship. I can't say for that. I think as a viewer, I really enjoy, I find identity be, to be very important for mm-hmm. a team. And, and that sense of, like, what does how we play mean? Like, it, who do we want to be out there on the pitch? I find that stuff really interesting. I've always found that interesting in sports. I was, for some reason, I was going back and looking at um, a thing I had written about basketball, actually, where Stan Van Gundy, who is the coach of the Orlando Magic. Great name. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good name. So so Stan Van Gundy uh, was the coach of the Orlando Magic, and, and the Magic were an early proponent of what's become a sort of common thing in basketball, which is to play a, a four-out, one-in sort of strategy where you had at the time Dwight Howard, who was a dominant offensive and defensive force near the rim. And then everybody else was a shooter who was around him. And, and this sort of led to an analytical understanding of why three pointers are valuable and free throws are valuable. But, uh, Van Gundy has never been, he's always sort of been an old school guy. He did it because it worked, not because he was like, I ran the numbers and this is, this makes sense. Um, and somebody was asking him about, uh, taking a shot at the, at, toward the end of a half or the end of a quarter, which is a thing that happens in basketball. It's called a two for one. So if you have, there's a shot clock, it's 24 seconds. If you get the ball back and you have, you know, 30 seconds, uh, analytically it's in your interest to shoot the ball as soon as you can, because that forces the other team to have to take a shot. Then you get the last shot. So you essentially, sure. you're trying to get the most possessions possible. Uh, but Van Gundy never had his teams do that. And he said, the thing is, is that maybe it analytically makes sense. He wasn't saying it doesn't make sense, but he's saying what that says is that every time somebody goes out there and takes a garbage shot because they have, you know, a couple seconds, this is because this is the situation. Somebody else on the team goes, well, I'm going to take that shot next time. And it begins to slowly erode sort of the chemistry and the makeup of the team in some ways. Uh, if that's not who you are, if that is who you are, fine. So this idea of, you know, we want to be a possession team. This is how we want to play. Uh, when, and then developing sort of counter identities, you know, like if somebody pushes you out of that comfort zone, do you find another way to play? Do you find a counter move? Mm. It's another thing that comes up a lot in terms of, you know, if you're overloading one side of the field, you move it to the other side of the field. Uh, in basketball, if you're a post player, if you have a go-to move, you need to have the opposite move so that that can also help you out. So I'm always interested in things like that. So the idea of, of Red Bulls and the question of if they're a, if they're a counterattacking team, can they also add this possession thing to their bucket of tricks? But does it take time to adjust to that little things like that are interesting. And like, who does Minnesota, you know, we, I felt like over the first two games, we were like, this is who Minnesota United wants to be right now. Neither the galaxy nor the refs have allowed us to do that. So is it a matter of doing what we do better? Or is it a matter of finding other ways to get it done that move in a different direction once teams have figured out how we like to do it. Right, right. Uh, and like I said, do you know what wouldn't surprise me at some stage as well because we've got a lot of these Saturday-Wednesday games coming up in the future. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me at some stage as well if we did see a 4-3-3 and either Rasmus Schuler or Lawrence Olam drops into the centre midfield, Colin Martin maybe as well, you know, that that wouldn't surprise me at all regardless if we're home and away or away. That that wouldn't surprise me at all. So we'll, we'll wait and see. But... Um, just, just going back to, to that Red Bulls game, Steve, that the one uh, real question mark I've got moving forwards is I wonder what Adrian's going to go with in terms of centre-forwards. Because I thought Angelo did a really mm. good job in the opening 45 yeah. minutes. Yes, He was virtually non-existent in the second half. 
more than likely he'll be going up against Aaron Long and uh, Tim Parker. Both have U.S. national team caps. Both formidable have impressed. Duo. Yeah. Very, very good uh, central defensive partnership. Arguably one of the best in the league. Does he go with the big man in Rodriguez to go with this aggressive and assertive battle against the two of them? Or does he play someone like Romario Ibarra or Abu Dunladi, whose pace can get in behind? And, and does he go with a little more of a direct route, I wonder? Yeah. That's, that's one thing I'm really going to be interested to see over the next couple of days or so. Yeah, it'll be... I mean, I think it's interesting to think about. Um, also, it, do you start with Angelo in the sense that he's going to sort of sort of battle those guys. Mm. And that's a, that's a wearing down, right? And then once you've sort of had that physical game going on for 60, 70 minutes or something like that, that's when you can then bring in a guy with more speed and pace like Abu or, or Romario to get in behind guys who have had to fight physically already for 60 to 70 minutes. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the substitution substitution period in soccer is very interesting because you, there's no going back, right? It's like, right. You, you only have a few of them. You got to make them. And when you do, that's what you're going with. Um, it's a lot different than other sports. Uh, I mean, I guess baseball is the same sort of pattern of you put someone in and somebody comes out and they can't go back out there. Um, you know, but how do you play that game over the course of the whole 90 that it's not just like, well, we're going to play this way for a minute zero to minute 90 and then it either works or it doesn't. But how does, how does the team change over the course of that? Uh, and it's going to be interesting to watch because I think those, I think those guys are all very Romario is more like a boo obviously, but mm -hmm. like they each provide their own different looks and it's a way to keep other teams on, on their toes. Um, you know, yep. you don't want to commit too early. Uh, if a team game plans for Angelo and then it's Abu out there who's looked really good. Uh, he has, you know, he's in, been really good in training. Yeah. Sure, and I know that's why he's been given an opportunity over the last uh, two games. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's looked really, really sharp. And, and I remember preseason 2018, Abu had a sensational preseason, and then obviously got the injury, which which really thwarted his his progress in 2018. And he only ended up with one goal in a, in a handful of appearances. But um, no, he's looked really, really sharp. Yeah. So I just wonder. I, I just wonder if Adrian's thinking. Maybe maybe I'll give a boo a go in this particular game. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I want to touch uh, briefly because obviously we've got there's kind of a big game coming up here uh, in about a week and a half. <laughs> uh, I wanted to touch on NYCFC uh, for fans who might be looking at their game uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, they've obviously had sort of a rocky start, uh, but they're about to play the Montreal Impact, who lost significantly yes. to Sporting KC last weekend. Um, and some, I think, we, you know, we talked, we chatted about this a little bit, you know, casually beforehand. I sort of think maybe this is a, a get good opportunity for, for NYCFC to get off on the right foot against the team, especially if Montreal is lacking Piatti, um, to sort of get into round into form a little bit and then come into Allianz field here with uh, a little confidence. Um, or is it worse for them to lose badly or to lose to the Montreal impact and then feel like this is a must win game coming into Allianz field. Yeah. I mean, take your pick there, don't you? Yeah. yeah I mean, this is one of those goals. questions. I can already hear myself asking Adrian this and him looking at me like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like you, you want every other team to lose and you want to win. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, I, it's a difficult one, Steve, because right now from everything that I'm hearing and I know a couple of people on the inside of NYCFC, the place is rotten. Um, they've got a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I had heard last season that some of the players weren't happy with Dominic Torren, the head coach, um, which is which is slightly unfair because you know new 
manager, new role, new ideas, new tactics, and and you've been used to someone with the ability of, of Patrick Vieira for the last uh, couple of years. You know, it's, it's difficult to replace someone like that. But sure. um, replacing David Vieira, you, you'll never do it. Right. So people saying they have to go and replace Vieira is, is nonsense. You can go and replace his goals, potentially. You can't replace the player as a player. Because, and, and David Villa did so much more than just score goals as well. I mean, he, at times he would drop deep and link up the play and everything. Can you, you know, Matricia, their $9.5 million man, was supposed to be the, the new person to come in and, and link up the play. And, and so far, it's not really worked. And again, look, it's early. They've signed a Brazilian centre-forward from the top flight in Croatia, Eber, who I know virtually nothing about. Uh, I've seen some tape, but um, I think he looks like, if he's given service, it looks like he could cause a couple of problems. Um, Jesus Medina and Morales are obvious threats for NYCFC as well. Uh, again, I wonder what they do when they come away from home. Do, do they go with the, with the three behind the centre forwards? Is Morales going to operate in a wide position? Will he be tucked inside? Um, I, I don't know, but they, they've got to change something at the moment, as do Montreal Impact as well. And, yeah. you know, it's... I, I wonder already, is this the game that we christened a six-pointer already, you know, Montreal right. against NYC, <laughs> just because they, they've both been absolutely ludicrously bad so far. And, and Montreal to lose 7-1... Um, I mean, it's embarrassing. Um, and I know Remy Gard from his time at Aston Villa will, will not be too pleased with that, obviously. Uh, he held himself to a very high standard. He was fabulous at Lyon um, in Ligue 1. And, uh, you know, I, I watching that game against Kansas City, I, I don't think I've ever seen a team enjoy playing the game as much as they did that day. Yeah. They were in full footballing flow. Um Whenever they pushed forward, whenever they pressed forward and pushed the ball forward, it was like they were stroking silk. They were so smooth in transition. And, mm -hmm. and this has taken years, by the way. For me, I remember covering the team in 2011, and, and whilst they were a good team, they were nowhere near as fluid as they are now. It takes time to, to bring in the right pieces, and sometimes you get some of those players wrong as well. Sometimes you think a certain sure. player will fit your system, and actually he wasn't as effective as you thought that he would be. But... With the players that they have at their disposal now, Sporting Kansas City, for, for me, I, I'll go ahead and say, yeah, they're my favourites for MLS Cup this year. Mm -hmm. I really think so. And I know we're, we're only week four in, in, into the season, week four, five. But I've yet to see a more convincing team in Major League Soccer this season. Um, and Montreal Impact fell victim of it big time. Um, and I said this as well, I, I don't I don't ever want to see managers getting fired. I think you should give coaching staffs around every league in the world an opportunity to to prove themselves and prove their ideas moving into a new season but if something like that happens again with the way that Joe the way that Joe Saputo operates it wouldn't surprise me if Rami Gard is out the door in Montreal yeah it'll be interesting to watch if you aside from watching the Minnesota United game this weekend definitely I think that that, that should be an interesting game to watch yep um uh, I also like sporting Kansas city. I think I listened to Peter Vermees on extra time, uh, this, this week. And I really feel like 
I don't know. I, I guess we have a burgeoning uh, rivalry with them, but uh, they're sort of my favorite team to pay attention to mm. a lot for Vermees and, and for that. And for that, like I said earlier, that style, you really have a, really have a sense of what the identity of that team is. Yep. Uh, and they're a lot of fun to watch. Let's talk a little bit about, again, about the home opener, which is coming up in a week and a half. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, transportation here. We emphasized public transportation is, is a fantastic option. Uh, and I think we emphasized get there early. But I would like to emphasize once again, get there early. So uh, starting at noon is when stuff kicks off uh, at, you know, north of the brew hall. We have, there's all kinds of, there's gonna be food trucks out there. There's gonna be music from four on the floor. Uh, we're opening the gates essentially an, an extra hour early. So two and a half hours early instead of an hour and a half early. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a party. And I would say plan your day around it. Um, you know, whatever you have to do is like, you know, feed the dog, get him set up. Like <laughs> if, if, if you're bringing your kids, get, get them ready early. Cause it takes forever for kids to get out the door. They won't put on the jackets, <laughs> just put on your jacket. So like it's all good for personal experience. Though, I, I, I have, I don't know. I, I don't know why you would think that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, put down the coloring book, put on your shoes. You can do it yourself. Okay. I believe in you. Um, if, uh, if you, if they have to be dropped off at the grandparents, by all means, right. do it the night before. Sleepover. There you go. Get up early. Come here <laughs> and enjoy yourselves. Um, yeah, I mean, home opener. It's going to be. I'm going to be here. I don't know. I'm not going to be able to sleep. I realize this, huh. and like it sounds cheesy. Some of it's going to be nerves. Some of it's going to be excitement. But I just, I'm just already planning for a bad night of sleep um, the night before the home opener, and just expecting that I will be up at uh, eight in the morning and getting ready to sh show up as early as they will let me here. Yes. In, in, yeah. I think that's going to be a lot of people who work at this club, isn't it, turning up. But there's going to be a line of staff members at the door at 9 a.m., isn't yeah, there? So right. hit us in. <laughs> You're sleeping in sleeping bags. So. Oh, but um, no, I mean, it's it's going to be astronomical, isn't it? It's going to be a sensational, uh, wonderful day, coated in, in Minnesotan soccer history. And, and it's a day that, look, this is the thing as well, I was thinking about this last night. A day like this is never going to happen again, at least in our lifetime. Yeah. So... Let's enjoy it. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I can't emphasize enough for people to, to take it all in. At, well, at one point, uh, what I would like you, the listener, to do is take a step back at one stage, whether it's during the game or pre-game or even post-game. Just take a little step back and just look. And take a look at what is now yours because this ain't going anywhere anytime soon. This is our home. This is your home. This is home now for the rest of our lives. And you're going to be here at the christening of it. Yeah. It doesn't get any bigger or better than that, in my opinion. There's, so There's only one first home opener for a place. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us for the 51st Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Saturday, April 6th against New York Red Bulls at 6 p.m. Central Time. You can watch that game on Fox Sports North Plus and listen on Score North. And for the first time, we're having the official watch party presented by Summit at the Brew Hall here at Allianz Field. So that should be... That's going to be awesome. I'm jealous because at one stage, I would like to, with the fans, try all 96 taps. We'll just lie you on the bar and just push <laughs> you down. We'll turn them all on. They'll just... <laughs> We'll give it a go at some stage. It looks really cool. The brew hall, I've actually still not even gotten to go inside it. I'm looking at it right now, but the they open up the, the these garage doors to serve people out of the south side of it. Um, it's going to be really fun. So uh, this is this will be the place to be to check out, check out the game uh, on Saturday. 
Uh, be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating. And follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Venturis. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. Mm-hmm.